Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this episode, I would say, is for the equestrians in the crowd, for the fans of horses and all things equine. Uh, hi, my name is Ben. Hi, Wilbur. <laughs> no? Okay, I'm, I'm leaving it in. Uh, my name is Noel. Yeah, okay, just to get ahead of that before anybody yells at me, this is an episode about Nazi horses. Uh, and if they could talk, they would theoretically maybe say Heil Wilbur. But the Germans, after World War One, apparently had a bit of a horse shortage. And considering, you know, how much kind of grief they got after that war uh, and essentially were blamed for it. Pretty sure they ended up with uh, a lot of things shortage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Many resources, things that you would typically need to run a country during peacetime, right? And imagine how many more resources you need if you're running a country during a time of war. Super producer Casey Pegram... <laughs> And I were talking about this uh, a little bit before we we hopped on today's episode, and we were thinking about our earlier show on Clever Hans. You'll remember Clever Hans disappeared during World War One, right? So, what if there's an untold chapter of Hans? What if he ended up somehow roped into this this program? What program are we talking about? Well. We know that when the Nazi party invaded foreign countries during World War II, they stole millions and millions of dollars worth of valuables. Uh, they were trying to get all the resources they could, jewelry, famous works of art as well. And in the world of fiction, 
And in documentaries aplenty, we see later attempts to recover those stolen valuables. But one thing a lot of people haven't talked about is another resource the Nazis were uh, surprisingly focused on obtaining. They wanted to essentially kidnap hundreds of the world's best horses, prize yeah. horses. Yeah, it was called Operation Uber Horse. Maybe not, but that's what I'm going to call it, and that's what it should have been called, in my humble opinion. But no, it's true. The Nazis were all about developing super everything. You know, they wanted the best and the most advanced and the strongest, the most tankiest of humans uh, and horses, and they would stop at nothing to achieve those results. Uh, so they wanted to breed a particularly powerful type of horse called the Lipasner horse, uh, which was a German horse uh, that was, like you said, Ben, very prized for its strength and stamina and, and beauty. Um, and they wanted to create a brand new race a master race, if you will, of German horse. Um, and they set about doing this, didn't they? They did, yeah. Author Elizabeth Letts has a book about this called The Perfect Horse. And in that, she examines the tremendous damage done to Germany's, oh, huh, Germany's literal horsepower uh, during World War One, And Adolf Hitler wanted to return the country to what he saw as its former glory in the world of all things horsey. Uh, we have a specific quote here uh, wherein Letts writes, after World War I, several factors combined to almost destroy horse breeding and equestrian sports in Germany. The number of equine casualties were so high during the war that the horse population declined by half. And then she goes on to say how the uh, monstrous conditions of inflation in Germany made it really difficult to take care of the horses that did survive. And that would have been the gig that Clever Hans would have been enlisted to fill, right? Well, we don't know exactly what his job would have been, but the need for horses in World War One was pretty significant. And, and many of them, the ones that, you know, fell victim to these horrific casualties would have been war horses that would have literally been ridden into battle, right? Like, I mean, this was like a uh, a trench kind of warfare situation where you're actually on the battlefield, sort of a hybrid between like the model we think of, you know, in older military conflicts, like, you know, it's a civil war, or like a war of 1812, where you have two parties on opposite sides of a field running towards each other with sabers and horses. This was kind I mean, there was some of that antiquated military strategy involves so, yeah. napoleonic oh, exactly but no 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 you're you're absolutely right but but then there also was that uh that trench warfare as well and it's interesting to think about when they were trying to rebuild and that's a huge reason that hitler and his promise of returning to this the glory days of this country and capitalizing on people feeling completely downtrodden and left behind and kind of, you know, like completely having been screwed by a war effort that they as individuals maybe didn't necessarily believe in. I mean, who, who was responsible for World War I uh, German um, in involvement? That was Kaiser, wasn't it? Yeah, that's uh, Wilhelm II, and German Kaiser or emperor and the king of Prussia, born in 1859 died in 1941. That's right. And and Germany 
truly entered World War One on August 1st, 1914, when they declared war on Russia. Uh, of course, they were allied with Italy and Austria-Hungary before World War One, when they declared war on Russia. And Receipt, you know, in terms of the aftermath, you know, the dust settled on World War One. Germany was really kind of the blame was placed on them in a very real way, and they received all kinds of sanctions and um, real blows to their infrastructure and to their ability to kind of, you know, go on in the way that they they knew. Uh, so when Hitler offered them these opportunities to kind of move forward and reclaim that position. It was very attractive. And that's that slippery slope that can happen when someone makes promises and people feel like they, you know, need a strong hand to guide them back into their former glory. And then before you know it, uh, you know, they're breeding super horses and, uh, and, and worse. Yeah. Put yourself in the place of the average German civilian post-World War One. Inflation is crazy. Uh, if you own horses, statistically, half of them are dead. And it's incredibly difficult to take care of the ones you do have. But guess what? You might lose those too, because Germany was required to pay uh, massive reparations after World War I in the Treaty of Versailles. And one of the things they specifically had to do was export their remaining horses or a certain amount, as a form of reparations. So two decades later, in World War II, horses are, like, weirdly at the front of Adolf Hitler's mind, mm. you know? Like, he probably derailed some meetings about it to talk about the horses. This is something that confused me as a kid. Like a lot of kids growing up in the West, I always thought of World War II in terms of, like, tanks and bombers and, you know, dogfights and aircraft and, and new terrifying technology. But we have to remember that wasn't entirely the case. According to Letts, by 1938, the German army was using more than 180,000 horses and donkeys, and Adolf Hitler was convinced they had to double down and get more. They really thought they needed horses to win the war. What were they using them for? Like pulling horse-drawn wagons with like artillery on the back? Like didn't I mean they had Panzer tanks and all that stuff at this point, right? Like what what are they using horses and donkeys for? I don't understand. Spies. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll just go with that. <laughs> they just dress them up, give mm -hmm. them a British accent. I love whatever it. a British accent for a horse is. Yeah, no, you're making a good point, Noel, because it sounds like we're on the same page that a, a lot of us would think of the astonishing technology that's been developed. And then you have to ask yourself, what does a horse do? Maybe it's because they were already well-established as a means yeah. of transport. I, well, they're I pretty nimble, you know? I mean, you can definitely, like, get places quickly on a horse that you couldn't get on a Panzer tank. But they had motorcycles, and they had all that stuff. I, I'm just a little – I want to look a little deeper into this, but that's sort of a discussion for a different day. What we do know right now is that horses became this, like, propaganda tool because Hitler – okay, let's put it this way. I think a big thing was when – Germany kind of got screwed. The, the regular German people got screwed after World War I because of all these reparations and having to export all these horses. It was all about this loss of the life they knew. And a big part of the life they knew was horse breeding. That was something they took great pride in as a nation. And so Hitler started kind of using his, like, okay, we're going to get back in the saddle, as it were. Let's writes about this in her book. 
And he started amassing all these horses and making it clear that he was going to bring back this part of uh, German heritage and tradition. Yeah, it's, uh, dare I say, kind of a make Germany great again program. Oh, uh, you dare. (laughs) Expressed through this equine lens. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Hitler invaded Poland in 1939, or I guess I should say when Germany invaded Poland in 1939. It wasn't just like Hitler running up there. But when that happened, he had already defined or articulated a plan for the horses of Poland. They wanted to rebuild Poland's horse breeding industry, quote, for the interests 
of the German nation. And that's when Hitler had to find he had to find a horse guy, right? He had to, he had mm-hmm. to find, see a man about a horse. Uh, and that's what he went to. This is the first time I ever heard this word, Noel. He went to a hippologist or horse expert named Gustav Rau. Oh my goodness. A hippo- I don't Yeah, we'll have to look into the etymology of that a little later. Uh, Gustav Rau, indeed. He uh, was a horse expert, as you say, and the leading equiary in the country. He was actually the chief equerry in charge of all of the horse breeding. He was made this for the Third Reich. He was responsible for, as we talked about at the top of the show, creating the perfect horse by using breeding techniques, which is something that at the time was very poorly understood. And the concept of genetic inheritance and passing down, you know, selective breeding, passing down the the best qualities of certain breeds to, to create kind of a new hybrid. He received his inspiration from the 1912 Olympics, where there were some really fine specimens of military horses on display lined up next to each other in, in one of the uh, ceremonies. And it gave him the idea, according to Letts in her book, The Perfect Horse, to, quote, develop a German breed of military horse that was as clearly associated with Germany as the thoroughbred was with England. Yeah, and you can understand the idea, right? Because at, at this time, he's thinking, well, we can breed dogs, right? We can we can breed for certain traits. That we do know for sure. And so... Rao started focusing on the Lipzana, a stallion, which you mentioned earlier, Noel. Uh, This is a breed that's known for its dexterity and known for looking like the classic fairy tale version of a horse. So Rao says, as a hippologist, hey, I can breed tons and tons of these identical military horses. Of course, he wants them to be pure white. And, uh, He says, I can do this in just three years. I can make this perfect horse. All I have to do is make sure that I continually inbreed them. That's where we go to to your earlier point about poor knowledge of genetics. Uh, He did not seem to understand the link between genetic defects and inbreeding. So Hitler was sold. You know, uh, Hitler was convinced this was a great idea. And to do this, they needed these stallions. So they started stealing them. They started doing international horse heist. Why is this not on drunken history? Why are we not narrating this on drunken history? Probably because drunken history got canceled. But what a story. Yeah. And in the same way that those occupying German forces would go on to ravage the culture and uh, history and, you know, basically any kind of valuable items in places that they uh, took over, German soldiers set to work essentially taking over, co-opting, taking control of all of the horse breeding facilities in the entire country. Horse stud farms, riding schools. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, the way German forces, when they would occupy a country, would just start to ravage it and, you know, essentially dismantle all of its culture and uh, steal valuables and all of that. The priority in Poland was initially to completely take control and co-opt 
any kind of horse breeding facility that they could get their hands on. Um, things like stud farms and riding schools. There was one in particular riding school called the Janow Podlaski Stud Farm in Poland, and that was right near the border with Russia. And another one in Vienna um, called the Spanish Riding School. And that had a, a very, very remarkable collection of these Lipoznar horses. They were very valuable. They were very beautiful. They were colored uh, kind of a snow white coat with blue and black speckles. And oftentimes they were trained as Olympic dressage champions. Is that the one where they just kind of daintily step or is dressage? That's, yeah, that's, that's dressage, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where they have the uh, the weird walk. It's a very specific walk. I, you know, I got to admit, one time I went in a YouTube rabbit hole and just watched dressage videos. I had there is on. something oddly satisfying about it. It's, it's interesting to see these massive creatures tiptoeing around. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit weird, but, but kind of cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's... I think it's cool to have specific hobbies, and as it long as you're sure not, is. as long as you're not hurting the horse, it's it's all fine. But you're right; they were uh, they were doing these international horse heists, and they were very serious about it. Uh, they transported the horses in these pretty swanky, spacious train cars, and then they took them to these top notch farms out in the countryside. And it's so weird. When you consider how obscenely inhumane the Nazi party was to other human beings, it's so weird to understand just how gentle and nice they were to the horses. Like they would, they were killing millions and millions of people, but they would like clutch their pearls at the idea of a horse being even slightly harmed. Mm. And this is a very, dark point but just to drive this home we know that the horses who were taken prisoner by the nazis were transported in better circumstances and better train cars than the human victims of the nazis jeez i was gonna say it sounded like they were using the same train cars but uh adding insult to injury i guess the horses got a better shake that's God, man, I can't even believe that. But it, it's true, and, and we're going to stick with the horse angle for now, and this is all pretty early on. I think this was happening before any of that, right? This was happening before they were actually rounding up Jews and, and um, you know, collecting them and, and shipping them off, correct? Yeah, Germany and uh, German leaders wanted to bring back the horse industry since pretty much the end of World War One, which at that time they called the Great War. Mm -hmm. I don't think <laughs> I I I'm glad to report that nobody called it World War One before World War Two. Yeah, that's like the, it's just the, the laws of chronology, I guess. Uh, but, you know, they definitely continued this horse thieving spree in addition to grabbing all of those priceless artifacts that we talked about horses were always kind of on the list because they really wanted to scale this operation and uh, get you know germany back to its former horsey glory so they're pretty much set up at this point and decide to build a base of operations and that's something called the hostau stud farm uh, another facility they took control of but that kind of became their home base for this you know super horse program 
the kind of stronghold and, and like the, you know, Cadillac of, of all of their facilities. And it was located in Hostau, uh, in the hills of Hostau in Czechoslovakia, which at this point was occupied by the Germans. Let's is Elizabeth Let's is such a premier source on all of this stuff. So we're going to keep referring back to her book, The Perfect Horse. But she says of this period, quote, uh, the stud farm at Hostel, located next to the village of the same name, had been known for breeding cavalry horses long before Hitler's time. The most prominent local landowners, the oof, Trautsmundorfs, yeah, the Trautsmundorf family, had historically served as imperial equerries for the Habsburg crown. In addition to the main complex of stables adjacent in the village, there were pastures in three neighboring villages. The entire establishment covered 1,500 acres and could accommodate more than a 1,000 stallions, mares, and foals. And yes, that Habsburg crown refers to the Habsburgs, uh, if you are, for some reason, not aware of that story, another cautionary tale about uh, genetic defects and inbreeding, uh, then I, I suggest that when you have a chance, go to your browser of choice and just search for Habsburg Jaw, H-A-B-S-B-U-R-G. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Rao has found his perfect farm. Right. And he's found his perfect horses. And throughout 1942, he systematically moves all of these kidnapped horses from Italy, Austria, and Yugoslavia to this farm for safekeeping. He also sends out an assistant, an emissary, to wealthy noble families who also raise horses. And this means that by the end of that year, by the end of 1942, this one guy, Rao, has gathered almost every single Lipizzaner in the world to this one spot. That's pretty crazy, right? And lest you are having your mind blown by this idea of in the world, let's not forget the Lipizzaners were all, were, it was a German horse. They were specifically bred in this part of the country. It's not like the Nazis were flying elsewhere on the globe to have to grab these. They just didn't exist outside of this part of the country. So it was from this facility, this absolute, you know, cutting edge horse breeding compound uh, where Rao really decided that he was going to set up his empire of, of, of horse breeding uh, there in you know, German-occupied areas of Europe. And at the center of this was kind of the same sort of purest ideology that went into the way Nazis thought about race. Like you said, that white color uh, was a big deal. The notion that the purebred Liposner horse came from wealthy noblemen. It was a very elite breed of horse. And uh, Ben, off mic, we were talking about how this really dovetailed with their, you know, notion of the Ubermensch or like, you know, being able to uh, maintain the purity of the German bloodline or the Aryan bloodline. Yeah, it's it's a true story, Noel. And they ritualize this pretty heavily for various reasons. Uh, but But it is true that at the special places called birth clinics, uh, officers of the SS who had to pass certain racial requirements to be in the SS to begin with, they would mate with women who had been 
selected for their own perceived Aryan traits. And then when a child was produced from this sort of program, the babies got baptized in a, a weird SS rite. It's kind of like when we talk about the intersection between the Nazi party and occultism. It gets really wonky. So they would uh, they would baptize this kid in this special rite, and then there would be uh, this symbolic dagger hanging over there, and they would chant these incantations and pledge the babies to the Nazi party. Kind of, it kind of replaced the idea of a religious baptism, and the horses had their own kind of special rite. Rao wanted them to have a specific brand which was, it looked like a kind of like letter H with a dagger going mm-hmm, through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this shows us that the, you know, the ritual, the propaganda and the trappings of it uh, seem to be really, really important. And uh, again, these folks were woefully misinformed. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the white tigers. You guys know the story of the white tigers, how they're, it's a it's a rare genetic mutation, and to breed white tigers is pretty controversial because they end up getting inbred, and as a result of that, you end up with the same kind of genetic defects you would see after intense inbreeding in humans. And off air, uh, I just shared with you all a picture of what what can happen to these white tigers when when this practice goes wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, uh, Ben, you showed us some pictures of the white tiger issues that can develop. It's almost like a deve- like it can manifest itself physically, but I think also cognitively, you know, in, in these animals. And you can see the results if you just Google, you know, this. It's not pleasant. But yeah, that's and when you have this much extensive inbreeding going on, you know, for a specific purpose, then that's when you can really have some of these cases that they're I'm sure not. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? You think they're like putting them down or I mean, surely they would look at that as like a bastardization of their pure results that they were seeking. And yet they have this reputation for being kind to animals. So I'm, I'm a little wondering about that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question, because to be clear, they're breeding for very specific traits, right? So some of these horses are solid black, but they want to only breed ones that will have a solid white coat and have, you know, tall height and so on. But it feels like without an understanding of the dangers of inbreeding, uh, things could have gone pretty wrong pretty quickly. But something else happens that affects this program it eventually becomes clear that Germany will lose the war. And this makes the Germans start worrying about the future of their horses. Would they be stolen by Russians or even worse, slaughtered to feed humans? Obviously, the Nazi party appears to like horses much more than people. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And oh, looky, looky, we've done it again. We're looking at the clock on our uh, our recorder, and and we're I think we're we've got enough story left to fill up another episode. And hey, you get them both the same week, so quit your complaining out there in podcast land. I'm just kidding. I don't think anyone's necessarily complaining. <laughs> no we love complaining. you. Okay, sure. all right. I, I'm sorry. I was being. I was that was that was me projecting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there's absolutely more than enough for another episode and a lot of fun places this story goes. And it's weird to say that about a story involving Nazis and super animal breeding programs. But uh, trust me, there's a twist in this that's going to give it a bit of a silver lining. Mm -hmm. And uh, very cinematic. So stay tuned. Stay in that moment. We are at a pivotal part of the story and we need to give it its full due Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, who I, I just think he would love this story because it's so weird what, what's about to happen. But you'll have to tune in for the next episode to find out. I know, we're the worst. 
But you all out there in podcast land are the best, and we'd love to hear from you. Please write into us. You can find us on uh, e- email. Do we get that email sorted out? We haven't had an email for like three years. We just realized this. We uh, I think we never had an email. We just. I, and I, I always was confused as to why nobody emailed us, and and here the mystery has been solved. No email. Mm-hmm. So anyone that's been getting like you know kickback emails when we used to say the email address of the show sorry about that we'll sort that out uh, very soon but in the meantime just do the facebook thing you can do that on our group ridiculous historians um, where you can join the conversation uh, around episodes around your fellow ridiculous historians and the amazing historical memes they post and articles and articles that's how you say that word and all of that kind of stuff all you got to do is name me or ben or super producer casey pegram or some little inkling that makes us know that you're an actual human being and you're in my friends you're in yeah and there's one pretty cool thing on our facebook page ridiculous historians right now i i went in there and i thought i I was reading about james joyce right and i was just going over some of my favorite weird facts about a very weird man and then i thought who better than the ridiculous historians to tell us other strange, obscure, bizarre, funny, or sweet, ridiculous facts about people, important people throughout history. So you can see the thread there now. Uh, I learned a lot of stuff. Spoiler alert, our our own Gladwin Bolin decided to hop on uh, with some very weird facts. Uh, So dad, if you're listening, (laughs) thanks for contributing to the Facebook but if you if you'd rather just find us as individuals, we're cool with that too. We're also on social media as people, not horses. Yeah, and if you want to find me, you can do so exclusively on Instagram where I am at how now Noel Brown. Huge thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, as always on the case, Alexander Williams, who composed our theme, Christopher Osiotis, always here in spirit. And Gabe Luzier. I don't know why I like say I'm gonna just start changing the way his name sounds every time I say it. Because longtime listeners, you'll remember, he refused to tell us how to pronounce his last name. And I actually asked some other people, and they said that he kind of told them the same thing. I love the mystery here, uh, and I cannot wait for us to return to the strange journey of these stolen horses in World War II. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. 
Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 